Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 40, and we're reading from the NIV version, Exodus 20, Leviticus 14, and Psalms 75. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, by showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animal, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have said for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle, wherever I cause my name to be honored. I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. Leviticus 14. The Lord said to Moses, These are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing. When they are brought to the priest, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. 
Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it, together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird in the open fields. The person to be cleansed must wash their clothing, shave off their hair, and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. After this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. On the seventh day, they must shave off all their hair. They must shave their head, their beard, and their eyebrows, and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water, and they will be clean. On the eighth day, they must bring two male lambs and one ewe lamb, a year old, each without defect, along with three-tenths of an epheth of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering, and one log of oil. The priest who pronounced them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed and their offering before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meetings. Then the priest is to take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering, along with the log of oil. He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area, where the sin offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot. The priest shall then take some of the log of oil, pour it in the palm of his own left hand, dip his right forefinger into the oil in the palm, and with the finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. The priest is to put some of the oil remaining in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot, on the top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil in his palm the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed and make atonement for them before the Lord. Then the priest is to sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with the grain offering and make atonement for them, and they shall be clean. If, however, they are poor and cannot afford these, they must take one male lamb as a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for them, together with a tenth of an ephath of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering, a log of oil, and two doves of two young pigeons, such as they can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. On the eighth day, they must bring them for their cleansing to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. The priest is to take the lamb for the guilt offering, together with the log of oil, and wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He shall slaughter the lamb for the guilt offering, and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot. The priest is to pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand, and with his right forefinger, sprinkle some of the oil from his palm seven times before the Lord. Some of the oil in his palm he is to put on the same places he put the blood of the guilt offering, on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. The rest of the oil in his palm the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Then he shall sacrifice the doves or the young pigeons, such as the person can afford. One as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering, together with the grain offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the one to be cleansed. These are the regulations for anyone who has defiling skin disease and who cannot afford the regular offerings for their cleansing. 
cleansing from defiling mold. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When you enter the land of Canaan, which I am giving you as your possession, and I put a spreading mold in a house in that land, the owner of the house must go and tell the priest, I have seen something that looks like a defiling mold in my house. The priest is to order the house to be emptied before he goes in to examine the mold, so that nothing in the house will be pronounced unclean. After this, the priest is to go in and inspect the house. He is to examine the mold on the walls, and if it has greenish or reddish depressions that appear to be deeper than the surface of the wall, the priest shall go out of the doorway of the house and close it up for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall return to inspect the house. If the mold has spread on the walls, he is to order that the contaminated stones be torn out and thrown into an unclean place outside the town. He must have all the inside walls of the house scraped and the material that is scraped off dumped into an unclean place outside the town. Then they are to take other stones to replace these and take new clay and plaster in the house. If the defiling mold reappears in the house after the stones have been torn out and the house scraped and plastered, the priest is to go and examine it. And if the mold has spread in the house, it is persisted, defiling mold. The house is unclean. It must be torn down. It's stones, timbers, and all the plaster and taken out of the town to an unclean place. Anyone who goes into a house while it is closed up will be unclean till evening. Anyone who sleeps or eats in the house must wash their clothes. But if the priest comes to examine it and the mold has not spread after the house has been plastered, he shall pronounce the house clean because the defiling mold is gone. To purify the house, he is to take two birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. He shall kill one of the birds over fresh water in a clay pot. Then he is to take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet yarn, and the live bird, dip them into the blood of the dead bird and the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. He shall purify the house with the bird's blood, fresh water, the live bird, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet yarn. Then he is to release the live bird in the open fields outside the town. In this way, he will make atonement for the house, and it will be clean. These are the regulations for any defiling skin disease, for a sore, for defiling mold and fabric or in a house, and for a swelling, a rash, or a shiny spot to determine when something is clean or unclean. These are the regulations for defiling skin disease and defiling mold. Psalms 75. We praise you, God. We praise you. For your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. You say, I chose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. To the arrogant I say, boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. And the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dredge. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. I can't believe it's day 40. Today, I would name this episode Boundaries and Bearing God's Name. So in Exodus 20, we learn about the Ten Commandments, which in Hebrew is never actually referred to as commandments, which I thought was really interesting and Dr. Imes brought to my attention. But it's in Hebrew referred to as ten things or ten words, not as in like a single word, but a word like a message from Yahweh himself given to the people of Moses. Notice how the law was given after the rescue and the commissioning, not before. 
The law is not a prerequisite or a precursor or a test to be in a relationship with God. The law is given after the relationship is already established. The law represents God's character, and it's a description of boundaries. Here in chapter 20, the law is like the training after you've already been hired by an organization. This is how you learn to live well and flourish in this organization under God's brand name. This is how to internally and externally represent him and be a part of God's mission. It's really rather cool. Law, when viewed through Jesus' mention of it at Mount Sinai, becomes even clearer. It's about the heart. This is also clear in Exodus, but maybe a little more subtle, where it describes how coveting something, which you can't really see someone's covet. You might see like external manifestations of it or symptoms of it, but coveting is something which is in the heart and only God can see it. It is not just about our outward behavior. This is made clear in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he's referring back to these commandments, and we find out that our hearts and our attitudes, so what we think, what we feel, what we've experienced referentially, it all moves towards outward behavior, and God can see our attitudes in our hearts. Law does not mean enslavement or the opposite, freedom for freedom's sake. Instead, God's law offers freedom for a purpose— Dr. Imes suggests there must be an established boundary yielding some freedom as God directs for human flourishing. So it's like this third way. She gives the example of a playground made in a busy city where the decision to put a fence around the playground is not fought by anyone in the community because this offers boundaries where children are safe and free to focus on the purpose of play, contest, relationship building, strength and brain development. A lack of boundaries and self-discipline often create an enslavement of our own making. Oh gosh. A lack of a lack of boundaries and self-discipline often create an inflate enslavement of our own making to addictions and idols we never meant to give power over us in the first place. Crossing boundaries, breaking laws do not only impact us, but the people we love and strangers we entangle in our own lack of discipline. It can be very painful for many people involved. Notice how the law starts with, I am the Lord your God who rescued you. The relationship is established, and next, you shall have no other gods before me. What's interesting is that the focus here is to worship only God, which is called um, henotheism. It is not focused on the apologetic argument that he is the only God or monotheism, but that he's the only God worthy of worship. He is the Elohim of Elohims. I think that's interesting because while I believe God is the only or the one true God, I think it's cool to acknowledge the point we already saw earlier in this story, which is that some people will worship other gods like the ones in Egypt. But the point is that in our rescue, our redemption, and commission status, we are to worship and represent only God. Dr. Imes ties together the first two commandments and supports this in a really cool way in her class. Also, when you compare the description of the law here in Exodus 20 and then in Deuteronomy 5, there is an interesting nuance she points out. In Exodus 20, here it states to not covet your wife second and among a man's possessions like house and slaves. Uh, Slaves will be for a separate conversation on a different day. However, in Deuteronomy 5, not coveting someone's wife is first and the household is second. This is interesting. 
And the second thing or word that is a message is not to misuse the name of the Lord, our God. So bearing God's name has been, well, when I was growing up, for sure, um, I don't know about you, but typically misunderstood or, or used to, to tell children and adults not to use God's name flippantly, like we see it even still all the time. People will use OMG or whatever. And while this is not recommended or a good idea, Dr. Imes indicates that in the ancient context, people would not have considered using God's name in any flippant way. There was a reverence and a fear that would keep them from this type of flippancy. Instead, Dr. Imes points to a more direct reading of this message from God to suggest the law is about representing and lifting up his name and not to use his name to misrepresent him. So using or rather bearing God's name was something understood in a less verbal way and more of an inscribed way. By ancient people, as God's names were inscribed on things like temples and meant to show ownership and the protector. So Dr. Imes describes the benediction found in Numbers 6, verse 24 to 27, which she describes as the moment of branding for the Israelites. So the verse goes, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the last part of the verse, which is usually kind of skipped over, says, So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Dr. Imes describes this as a verbal branding, like tattooing them in a sense. The last part of the verse, You shall not lift up or carry the name of Yahweh in vain. You are mine. I will bless you. There are these Genesis 1 echoes where he talks about giving provision and progeny and putting us in that place um, to work and care for. I want you to go out and live like it is what he's saying, right? Almost every book attests to this. Psalms 23.3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We were made for an unambiguously special purpose, to be God's treasure and use it to bless others, representing his sovereign name well. Dr. Tim Mackey and John Collins created this really great six-minute video on the image of God, which depicts how God gave mankind in Genesis 1 and Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 this representative place in a dominion, and it looked like work and caring for, gardening, in a sense, which sometimes when I'm reading Leviticus, it's almost like I feel like it's a different kind of gardening and community. And it looks like ruling with justice and fairness and subduing or keeping the boundaries, which leads to spiritual death. We have to keep those boundaries to avoid that, that the ones that God gave us. And it's so cool that the word for branding entomologically came from this old Norse or old German word called brander, B-R-A-N-D-R, which meant to burn for the purpose of marking for ownership as a signal of origin to a name, who and where, which represented a specific type of quality and it was something the owner would protect. I'm thinking the concept of branding started way before that. It started in Genesis 1 and 2 and it's becoming clearer here in Exodus 20 where we see the word of importance from God himself in our role to be his sovereign representatives and not to misrepresent his name and who he is. Dr. Imes wrote this incredible book called Bearing God's Name, which is entirely about this verse and how the rest of the Bible is threaded to it. It's so cool, and it's linked in the show notes below. The law is not meant as a way of us earning salvation. 
It is a missional way of living to represent God well. Obedience is not just between like me and God, but it's a matter for God's larger mission. It matters as a show and tell and an invitation to others to be curious to who the God is that we love and represent. This is a high and holy calling. The law is like the covenant formula. Dr. Carmen Imes describes where I will take you as my own people and I will be your God is repeated over and over in the Old Testament. She gives all these references to support this and suggests that the way we read the first two commandments are actually tethered together, whereas they represent this part of the covenant in in a pretty specific way. God says, I have already rescued you and I am your God. Only worship me, making no other idols and do not misrepresent me because I am your God and you are my people. Live like it. What if we teach our kids about the importance of representing God well, because he rescued us and we are his people and he is our God, instead of saying, don't swear using the Lord's name in vain. The latter becomes secondary because we wouldn't use God's name flippantly if we truly live out the primacy of representing God well to others, yielding our freedom in the way he commands for the purpose of flourishing as he designed. Representing God is so much bigger and more missional, making more sense in its position than something so narrow as avoiding the use of a verbal statement. Being reverent to God's name would be an, of course, under the posture of our missional purpose as representing God well. But it's so much bigger. Ah, my prayer, hopefully our prayer, as Dr. Carmen Imes reminds me, is to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's Psalms 23.3. And also remember in the Lord's Prayer, the second part, hallowed be your name in Matthew 6.9. This really is a prayer where we ask the Lord to help us and allow his name to be lifted up and adored on earth as it is in heaven. Mission set, purpose given, wow. And while I know there's a lot to reflect on in the commands, or as Dr. Iam calls them, the things, the words or message, you'll have to take her class for the full full gamut of all the commands. She has more wonderful thoughts on the message of resting in God's provision, where work is an act of worship and play is a part of our call for holy, restorative, redemptive curiosity and innovation towards his goals, but also rest is an act of obedience. And can we practice self-discipline and dwell, abide, and rest as in rain? with him. Rest can be a hard thing to define, but it has a clear place of importance in God's rhythm for our lives. And Leviticus continues to delineate the need for purity and cleanliness and our human inability to maintain purity and cleanliness without sacrifice. And while we read about childbirth, skin disease, and we read more today about skin disease and defiling mold, I read, I read this with the knowledge of the New Testament in my heart when I was reviewing it again this time. Here the priest can only identify the issue which represents mortality and death. But in the New Testament, remember, God chose childbirth to bring Jesus into the world, sanctified. Jesus touched and allowed himself to be touched, sought out, and responded to to those with all sorts of bleeding and skin diseases, sanctified. We wouldn't understand or have the same appreciation for Jesus's miracles, I think, if we didn't have these rituals that made two things really clear. First, humans are mortals and death is a part of it, and God is immortal and life itself. Second, priests can only help to navigate and intercede. They cannot heal and perform miracles as Jesus can. 
Even in the story we are reading, Moses possessed a higher portion of power and authority than Aaron and his sons in the sense that God called him to be a prophet, speaking God's word to the people, and he was a priest to the priests of Aaron and his sons. For example, through the power of God, Moses performed miracles as in Exodus 4, where God asked him to take his hand out of his coat and he had leprosy. Then God told him to put his hand back in his coat and take it out, and it was free of leprosy. We have this hint that the rescuer to come will possess the power to heal and atone, to sanctify, because it is becoming abundantly clear that we need it because our lives at many points in time and seasons come close to mortality and death, and we don't possess the power for reconciliation and redemption. We need a Savior. I continue to be blessed by the scholars who have helped me to begin to have a deeper appreciation for these very hard texts, and I hope it's blessing you too. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.